Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. Welcome to Exploring Missions. It's good to have you on this weekend, and we pray that you are having a profitable weekend and with the Lord and with your family. On Exploring Missions, we love to dive into many areas to let people know they're on mission for God if they've been saved, uh, you're not waiting on any specific calling, although God may give you one, but you're on mission at the point of your salvation. You have become an ambassador for Christ. And today, uh, we're, our guest is someone that that I have uh, known for a while, and he's written several books, and uh, some of those books have blessed my life, and one of them in particular but today, we're, we may mention those books, but we're looking at the idea of what you're doing to make your living, to bring in income, may be different than the ministry God has you in. Because many times on this program, uh, we're talking to people who make their living uh, with the ministry that they're in. I do that here at AFR. But our guest today, that's a, that's a different brand. Neil Mammon. Neil, welcome to Exploring, the, Exploring Missions. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's bad much. when you have two programs that start with Exploring. You can get them mixed up. So let me tell those who are listening to Exploring Missions, uh, I'm also on Exploring the Word uh, Monday through Friday, 3 o'clock Central Time, Alex McFarlane and I, but Exploring Missions is here on the weekend. And Neil, from Hano, San Jose. <laughs> I'm going to get all this right before Hans it's Jose. over. Yeah. California. California. And we welcome you here. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's great to be and, here. And the book that really helped me more than anything was Jesus and him being involved in politics. politics. Now, <laughs> listen, and when I said, okay, I've got, I knew that, but I needed the, the information that you gave to continue and improve my position, and it did, brother. The biblical backing. The yes. biblical backing, and it is. And so just for those that are intrigued by it, can they, is that book still available? Yes, absolutely. You can go to JesusIsInvolvedInPolitics.com. So JesusIsInvolvedInPolitics.com. And if that gives you trouble, don't you call us, order the book, and read it. And uh, I, if you're fair-minded, there's no doubt you'll understand what we're saying. And so, but today we're talking about something a little bit different. Uh, most of the people, like I say, that's behind that microphone, uh, they're full-time missionaries. They're full-time. You make your living not by writing those books and not by ministering, but an engineer. Uh, yes, I am, and uh, been an engineer for all my all my career, I should say. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm a hardware engineer. I design chips and uh, routers and. Uh, uh, ASICs, if you understand the thing, and FPGAs, if you're, if you're. I'm glad industry. you do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Those are important things well, in you, our society today, well, aren't they? In a sense, yeah. I actually had the privilege of actually helping design the very first MP3 uh, chip in 1989. It was an MP, it was MP, MP2 layer two at the time, and uh, I also helped uh, Mashusta and Panasonic um, and Samsung design the very first DVD player in 1994 with a company I was working called CQB. 
Well, brother, I, I, I admire you. I really do. And I thank God for men who have the mental capacity and the ability to think through those things and understand those. And uh, But let, give a little bit about your background. I, I just we, we like for folks to know a little bit about the person we're talking with. So I grew up in, I was born in Ghana. I grew up in Yemen and Sudan and Jamaica and Ethiopia. My parents are from India originally. My dad's a professor in physics. My grandfather was a printer. Uh, He had a printing press. And I came to the States when I was 18 to go to college and then stayed on, uh, went to Silicon Valley and started working there. So I've had a a lot of fun doing that. Got a number of patents. uh, Started four startup companies. Unfortunately, they didn't uh, make me rich. But uh, they were, you know, they weren't, they weren't failures. Uh, Two of them actually are still continuing. Amen. Along with that, we were taught that's your vocation, and I shared with you, but it sounds like you have an advocation, that that you advocate, and I, I love that. I love your passion, uh, your your ability to articulate it, but I love your thinking. I, I always, when I was pastoring, I had a lot of engineers that, that I pastored because in my preaching, I, I would say, okay, you, this leads to this to this, and I love to connect right. dots. And engineers like to do that. Yeah. And so although I can't do it in the way you do, I, biblically, I love to connect the, the dots. But what you do, you bring that mindset to, to your ability to communicate truth from the Word of God, to put it in to our society that involves government, that in, involves all the things and uh, what, tell us what's on your heart these days. So uh, my primary passion has been apologetics, so which if your listeners are not familiar with the word, it basically means defending the faith, proving Christianity is true. And as an engineer, it's important that I believe what is true. So I don't want to blindly believe anything. So my, one of my ministries is called No Blind Faith. You can go to noblindfaith.com to find, that out, find out more about it. But in this line of reasoning, as an engineer during the day, I am working with Hindus and Muslims and atheists, a lot of atheists, actually, in the engineering community. So here I am in Silicon Valley. I've got a ready mission field for me. So what do I do is I try to take people out of lunch, and I engage with them in technical, scientific conversations about God, right? And you just kind of throw things out there, and you let them ask the question. I was talking about a recent experience I had uh, on one of the other shows where an atheist came up to me and had been told that you got to go talk to Neil because he's a very religious person. He respected me because I was well-known in the company for my hardware expertise and for actually producing products. So he came and says, you know, they're the first Christian or religious, he used the word religious, person I know who's also a scientist, right? So can we talk about it? I'm really curious to understand why you're a scientist. So this was a great opportunity for me to witness to him. And this happens all the time. I have Hindus that I go out to lunch with. My boss is a Hindu. Right, and he respects me, and he's 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 a Hindu, but he also is more um, open because he's not a devout in the sense that he doesn't believe everything. Right, so yeah. so there are many other Hindus like that. In fact, most Hindus are Hindu by name and culture. Yeah. But not I found that so true here in the South. We're we're in Tupelo, Mississippi, recording this. They're Baptist, <laughs> but but I, I say that because it is predominantly Baptist. So whether they're connected with a church or not, you know, exactly. that's the way yeah, it is. Yeah. And so you have a lot of those that are they they they've been raised in that culture, culture and environment, right. but not the teaching and observation exactly. of those. So something that my so my as I said, my granddad was a printer, and he was a lay preacher. 
My dad was an atheist, interestingly enough, until he was until I was about five or six, and then he became a believer. And he's a professor in physics. So in and and he's also a lay preacher. So my dad actually <laughs> founded two churches, one in the Middle East, yeah. where you're not supposed to start churches, yeah. and one in Sudan, in South Sudan, uh, called Rabana Kois, which is God is good. And uh, he started a Sudan theological, a Southern Sudan theological missionary, um, seminary, sorry. And so m- for me, modeled was you are an engineer, but your goal in life is to evangelize and teach the gospel. So that's what I've made my mission to be. Yeah, engineering pays the bills really well, right? I mean, engineers get paid well, and it allows me to spend money on other things. It also, being an engineer is great because I, my time is my own. Hmm. You know, what they want to do, they want to know, the board has to work, the project has to work. If I'm doing anything I want the rest of the time, they don't care because as long as I'm there to make the board work, as long as I'm meeting my goals and exceeding my goals. And so fortunately, I've been able to do that in most cases. So God is using your ability, your job, all of that for his glory. Absolutely. And, and he, he, again, Christianity is not just one part. It's not a Sunday thing, right? Yeah. It's, it's an all-week all, thing. All it's an all-day thing, right? That's what we're talking about on this program. Exactly. You bet. Yeah. So our mission field is where we're planted, yeah. right? Well, you know, and I like to say, look, you guys may send missionaries to India, but I'm, India sent the missionary here, and that's me. No. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> right? But, but our missionary field is where we're planted, where we're working for. And now— I had to be careful because I work for a very liberal corporation, right? I have to be careful what I say. But at lunch, if they're asking me the questions, I can do whatever I want, right? So I plant the seed. They ask me the question. I've never initiated a conversation about God directly. I always plant a few seeds. And the seeds may be as simple as, hey, you know, I was reading the latest uh, cosmological discovery about this and this. What do you think about it? And inevitably, the conversation will lead to what who created the universe, right? right. Or uh, uh, we'll be talking about some bi- biological discovery or something or some new technology, and then we'll talk about, well, does will computers ever have souls? So what are souls, right? Oh, me. You can lead into this <laughs> in so many different ways. And the minute they say something that's vaguely religious, hey, I have an open door to discuss it. I want to ask you these two questions. One is, I, I believe biblically, especially in the book of Mark, uh, chapter 8, when when Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And then he comes back and says, who do you say that I am? Now, if you read all of Mark up to that point, it's just jam-packed with miracle after miracle after miracle. So after he had done these things to prove that he was more than just a man and just a prophet, he asked them that. And, and in Matthew's gospel, here it says, it sa- he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He got it right, didn't he? And Jesus said, flesh and blood, and, and really, flesh and blood alone has not revealed that to you but my Father. So there's two ways, and I have a friend that came to God and then to Christ through observation. Yeah. He, he was raised in evolutionary thought, and he started observing all the fallacies and the the potholes in Darwinian evolution, right. and he started searching. And through observation, he said, "I there's got to be a creator." He, I mean, he said, "There's nothing in this world that has design that does not have a designer." I know that's just one of the many, but I believe that's the strongest one. There it is. is. It totally is. It is. And and so he came to believe there's a God. Then he went on a search to look at all the gods that were available, 
he started reading the scriptures. He he read Buddhist uh, writings. He read Hindu writings. He read the uh, Quran, and he came from observation to believe that the Bible had more authority in truth than any other book. Observation brought him that point, but he still wasn't saved. And that brings us back to what Jesus said. Flesh and blood cannot reveal who I totally am to you, but it's my Father who's in heaven. So you have observation and then revelation. And what I see you doing in apologetics, witnessing there in the Silicon Valley the way you do, is trying to get these people to observe that there's there's holes in what you believe atheism there's holes there and then god's got to do the rest of the revelation yeah. doesn't I mean, he nobody gets saved by my work they get saved by the holy spirit's work i just kind of open the doors right so but what's interesting about that is so throughout the ages we have known there are two books there's the bible's one book but then there's the universe which is the other book <laughs> and and we learn about that universe through observation and and the bible is pretty clear if you look at the things of creation, it should lead you to understand that there is a God. It may not lead you to Christ's name. It may not lead you to God's name, but it knows that there's a creator who created you and everything else. And that Bible is very clear about that. And so then when you bring that in with the gospel and you bring that with the Holy Spirit, you clench it all together. But the key thing, I think, is that um, many atheists and non-Christians, they see the observation, but they realize there's a consequence to believing there's a God. Yeah. Right. There's a moral, Is it called accountability? Accountability. There's a moral <laughs> consequence. And yeah. so most atheists reject God, not because the evidence is not there, but because of the consequences. So I have a saying. I says, don't let the consequences of your logic force you to abandon that logic. Mm. That's great. Uh, you know, I have observed, and this is just observing, that Darwinian thought is more of a philosophy than oh, it yeah, is yeah. in science. Yeah. And you're a scientist. Would you yeah. say I'm wrong on that? Or the, the, here's, I actually posted on my Facebook a few days ago. I said, um, it is my opinion that in another 100 years, we will look back upon Darwinian theology. It is. Right? And realize that it has slowed down science by at least 150 years. And here's why. As an engineer, if I pick up a circuit and I say the engineer who designed this had some sense and this circuit does this and this circuit does that, I can change or fix that circuit a lot easier than if I thought, oh, this randomly came together and these parts have no reason. So when we're going and looking at the cell and we're looking at diseases, we're looking at viruses, if we think this was randomly there, it would take us a lot longer than if we said, look, the original design had a purpose. This has mutated from that purpose. Let's find the original designer's intent. And I think science would advance a lot faster. Amen. Well, Neil, uh, by the way, this is uh, Bert Harper on Exploring Missions with Neil Mammon. Neil, if people want to get a hold of your books and your ministries, give some of those websites. Okay, again. so the apologetics website is noblindfaith.com, noblindfaith.com. The politics website, or the Jesus is involved in politics, is Jesus is involved in politics.com. And both of them are, are so biblical based. It, it's just astounding. And uh, that's, what, that's what drove me to you because I, I have a bias. It's a biblical bias. <laughs> there you go. It's and a good one to it's have. It's a good one to have. We all have a bias. Yeah, right? we do. Yeah, and I try to be biblically biased. Just, just pick the right one. Yeah, pick the right one. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you.
Today, we heard someone that is living their life, making their living, uh, doing a job that God's given them the ability to do, Nathan, and then he's using his gifts to do ministry that God's called him into. Uh, Neil's not the first guy that's ever come up with that idea. No. The Apostle Paul, is he a good example of someone who did something like that? Yeah, I think Paul is a good example, and um, really lots of probably examples throughout the New Testament, and then countless ones that are unnamed. Um, while while you you know have to make a living and and work and provide for you know your family, and um, there's ministry to do, and there's there's a mission to live out, and heard someone tell me one time, you know, you can let your ministry be your your job, or you can uh, use your job to fund to fund your ministry. Um, and so both are important. Um, sometimes you have to do one or the other uh, strategically, depending on the situation. But either way, ministry is involved, and making a living is involved. That's right. Those two are essentials. Well, let me read the passage of Scripture that I wanted to read today, and uh, it's in Acts chapter 18. The Apostle Paul is on his uh, missionary journey, and it says, After these things Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of this same trade, he stayed with them and worked for by occupation they were tent makers. And because of that passage, uh, much of what the ministry is when it is funded by working at a, a job that your, your hands, a technical job, a trade, and his trade was tent making. Now, we need to understand in those days, no matter what you were as a young boy, uh, whether you were going to be a priest or whatever, you learned a trade in those days, and Paul learned the trade of being a tent maker. Jesus was a carpenter. There was others, his disciples, many of them were fishermen. So you learned a trade. So having a trade is a great ministry of itself to have a way to to make a living. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, in that text that you read in, in Acts chapter 18, um, I think it's verse 3, it says that Paul stayed there with Priscilla and Aquila. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking of the word stay. What allowed Paul to stay there? You know, a lot of times he stayed longer in places than others, uh, but he was generally until, you know, somebody ran him out of town or in, or the Holy Spirit moved him onto a new place. He would try to stay as long as he could. Um, and so what allowed him to stay? Well, it was this job, this um, ability to um, to repair tents uh, as a tent maker. And so, you know, that's what some in some mission fields, um, maybe the mission field that we're living in currently, wherever you might be, um, that God has you staying it's it's your uh, your job your your work that allows you to stay there, um, 
when I think about staying, I think about three things. I think about, um, first, it's an identity for you. Um, maybe there in the marketplace where Paul was, he was simply known as a tent maker, you know, a good worker, maybe somebody that if you had your tent needed repairing, you could go see Paul and uh, he does good work. And so it becomes an identity. And a lot of missionaries on the field in different places, especially in places where it's illegal, you know, to for a foreigner to be in the country, um, sharing the gospel, planting churches and things. Um, they need an identity that gives them clearance and gives them a, you know, uh, the government will allow them to be there. It gives them a visa and that sort of thing. It makes them legal. And so, you know, a job, a skill uh, allows you to stay and gives you an identity. Um, you know, where I was serving for a while, uh, I've tried different identities, you know, telling people I was an English teacher um, and, um, you know, things like that. What actually ended up working best for me, and this is living in America where we have we don't have to worry about the political um, and, and the freedom, uh, freedom of speech and things like that. I ended up just telling people I'm a Bible teacher. You know, maybe a, a Hindu person would ask me this or a Muslim person would ask me, what do you do? Um, and I would just simply tell them I'm, I'm a Bible teacher. Um, and that's, that, was, that was good. That, that actually was a really good identity. Some places you can't have that as your identity, though. So It's know. according to where that place is yeah. that God has allowed you to stay. That's right. Also— um, tent making, this idea of tent making gives you f- financial sustainability. Obviously, there were places and times in Paul's ministry where he needed income because it wasn't coming from very many places and he had to sustain himself financially. Philippi would always send it, but he wasn't guaranteed from anywhere else. Right, and like. from time to time, he would not have, sometimes he would have all the support he needed and more uh, through the churches. And you know, things traveled slower back then. They didn't have, you know, Western Union or something like that. So, you know, uh, tent making gave him that financial st- uh, stability. And then it also, I believe, leads to ministry opportunities. I mean, if Paul, if you're in the if you're in the marketplace, going from one tent owner to another, uh, you know, providing your services to them, you're meeting people, you're talking to them. And in, knowing Paul, he's going to share the gospel as he do, does that. So at least those three things and probably more, uh, tent making gives you that identity, that financial sustainability, and ministry opportunities. Isn't it interesting that these two people, Priscilla and Aquila, some people say Aquila, uh, they would find one another. Mm. And that's you referred to that on your other, a tent maker, and it gives you some some ability to be in the marketplace and when they found one another, they joined forces. Yeah. They, they joined forces, which may have cut cost, which may have also given one or two more freedom that they could stay there and occupy the shop. I'm using that, right. you know, that word, while the other one may have been involved in, in their true calling of, of missions and evangelism. Yeah, who knows? We don't know for sure, but Priscilla Aquila might have hired Paul you know, for the time being as a worker for them. I don't know. So what would he do because that? That's found in verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So here it was on the Sabbath. 
he would go to the place where there was a greater likelihood for those people to hear about Jesus Christ and respond. Uh, Now, when he was in Corinth, uh, he went to a different place. In Athens, he would go to a different place because uh, in Athens, man, he went, I guess, to the tomb of the unknown God and all the other are the marker to the unknown God. And so he, he kind of identified the greatest point of ministry and the greatest time. So during the weekday, it seems he was making tents and being a witness there. But on the Sabbath, he would he would go and reason with them there. Right, and it would be his day off. So, you know, he had time to to do that. It would be like for us maybe working Monday through Friday and scheduling a time on Saturday to go out and, and do ministry or something like that. I know people do that actually, you know, probably quite often. And um you know when you're on, when you're a, a a minister of a church Sunday is not really a day off. So um I I really think that churches should and even you know ministers and churches should be encouraging, helping to equip uh their members especially the young people to develop marketable job skills. Um in, in, in hopes that those job skills can give them more opportunities to minister in, in, in sometimes in places where the pastor himself could not go, but he, you know, he could see a, a young person trained, maybe go to college, get degrees or some sort of marketable skill set, and then that, see that young person be sent by their church, go off and work in a place where they can share the gospel in places that you know, are hard to reach. So in in that model, basically a Jewish model of learning through apprenticeship, of getting a skill, God was able to use the Apostle Paul. Jesus himself had that skill of a carpenter, the carpenter's son, and he had that skill. The fisherman had that. So the value of today, we're, we're referring to people who may be advising a young person concerning their future, and they're Christians, and they're saying, what what do I need to do? Yes, uh, having some Bible courses and Bible knowledge is great, but also having that skill would be very important. So we encourage that today, that you get that skill, that you get that trade, that God can use, because many times you're going places where, quote, the minister will not go. That's right. I mean, there are some places, you know, just because if you've been to seminary and you're actually, the doors are closed for you to go certain places. Uh, but if you've been to, you know, a business, you've got an MBA or something, you've been to school uh, learning some technical skills, then the doors are not just wide open for you, but they'll pay you good money to come and, and basically live on mission among their people. Nathan, it's been great to talk with you about the ministry, tent maker ministry, of uh, uh, finding that skill and using it for your vocation. But your advocation would be that of serving the Lord, being on mission for Him. Thank you again for listening to Exploring Missions here on the American Family Network and Urban Family Network. We appreciate you so much sharing and being a part of what we're doing to try to carry the gospel, not just down the street, but around the world. And God will use your skills, your abilities, and yes, your talents to be on mission for God. 